Hi there and welcome to Raising Resilient Teens, the podcast version. My name is Sasha Lester and I'm so grateful you're here with me today, where we talk about all things teenagers, raising teenagers and the joys that go with it. With that, let's kick it off. Hello there and good morning. Welcome back to another episode of Raising Resilient Teens. My name is Sasha Lester and I'm so glad that you could join me today. Our guest speaker for this morning is Rudy Landman and I hope I said that correctly. You did. We're going to be talking today about a range of topics and um, and I love how I've prefaced it all. Um, they're candid conversations and it definitely will be Really eye-opening for a lot of people out there. Um, we're going to be talking about gender diversity, non-binary issues, authentic living, and how we can help our children live from an authentic way. We're going to be talking about egg cracking, um, and he's just smiled at me, um, and a whole bunch of other things. So, Rudy, welcome. Thank you so much for joining. Tell us a little bit or a lot about you. The floor is yours. Wow. Thank you very much, Sasha. I'm very excited to to be here. As cliched as that might sound, but I, I genuinely am because my work at the moment is around authentic living. I'm an authenticity coach. So I'm a life coach who specializes, I think, in this in this particular area. And what that means to me is that, you know, we can spend so much of our lives trying to fit in with other people's expectations of us or society's expectations of us, but society, of course, is just other people. And of course, sometimes these expectations are just things that we think are there. We don't necessarily even know that. We can actually suppress a lot of our joy and a lot of who we really are in this misguided attempt to fit in. Uh, and I guess my fundamental message is that we shouldn't do that. <laughs> we shouldn't, uh, you know, we, we should be true to ourselves. And the reason why I wanted to connect with with you was because of the work that that you do with with parents. I'm a parent myself. Um, in how to support children to live their authentic lives, and in particular, a very large part of my experience over the last few years has been coming to terms with a gender identity that I was not born with and did not grow up with. So, what I'd like to especially help with, I think, <laughs> is is offer to parents who have have children who may be either contemplating a gender transition or in the process of a gender transition or even just questioning gender and trying to understand gender that at least I might be able to offer some kind of framework or some shared experience that that might help make sense if this is not something that that a parent themselves has has had to wrestle with or question in their own lives um, most people don't you know the fact is that most people uh go through their whole lives identifying with and fitting in with the the gender that they grew up with, that they were handed at birth by their parents and society around them. And so I do fully understand that for if that hasn't if you've never had to question that, if that has always just made sense to you, hey, this is what this is what society thinks a man is, or this is what society thinks a woman is, that that kind of suits me and it fits me. Kind of like putting people in a box, really. It is, although I'm cautious sometimes about the the negative connotations of that, because, like I say, for most people, it works a lot of the time. Although, you know, we do have to also recognise it functions better for men than it does for women. Men generally 
you know, the, the system the system of gender identity and and gender expectations is very heavily rigged towards uh, people who are assigned male and live out you know a male existence throughout their whole lives but yes you you're you're exactly right we are handed this kind of this box or this bucket of expectations about what it means to be one or the other there is little to no actual um, essential element to the way that society constructs gender. When did you realise that you yourself didn't fit into that box? It's it's a hard question, and I know that in the in the preface to this, uh, you know, you, you did you did pick up on a term that that we talked about previously, egg cracking, and so I'll, I'll talk about that as well. For people who haven't met who haven't met me, I'm 50 years old now uh, this year, and the first sense that I got that something was really out of whack was really was probably about six or seven years ago. So for me, that was when when I started seriously. It was in my 40s that I started seriously questioning my gender identity and gender expression. But you know, as that process unfolded, I was certainly able to look back at experiences stretching all the way back into childhood and or at least into puberty and thinking, oh, okay, well that that experience, as I remember it now, takes on a whole new dimension if I understand it through the lens of maybe this was maybe this was an early sign of not feeling at home with the gender that that I'd been assigned and it had lived with. Um, so that that term egg cracking is one that's used in the trans and gender diverse community um, to mean that that yeah a, a crack appears in the in the egg that was you um, before you know, a, a fuller and I would say more authentic expression of yourself emerges. I actually think it's a lovely term. Like it's not full on broken open, and um, you know, it's it's a slow crack. Or I suppose it it's the um, it's our it's our it's however hard you want to crack that egg and launch out into the world. I suppose. Yeah, it, it, you know, another another way of putting it is also like you know, um, Oprah's aha moment. What was the aha moment that made you? Oh, okay, this is maybe this is not what I thought it was. And so for me, what that experience was that in my to lead into into my egg cracking moment, you know, so I had I had lived my whole life. Uh, you know, in a very sedentary kind of way, I was always, you know, that that kind of geeky, nerdy child um, who was in always in the library. Um, I then, you know, have for the last for most of my career, I've worked in the tech industry, leading a, a stereotypically unhealthy tech industry. What a stereotypically unhealthy tech industry life looks like. Um, so I was morbidly obese most of my life, and a, a few things happened. You know, after I had after I had um, kids, I started to, I made a decision to change my life and, and to, and to become healthy. And so I started watching what I was eating. I started exercising for the first time in my life. I lost half my body weight and I had gone from, from a morbidly obese person to a, to a very lean athletic figure and something was badly out of whack because when I looked at that figure in the, in photographs and in the, in the mirror, I, I was, I, I was really uncomfortable with it and I didn't know what that was. And, and it was like, well, you know, I had achieved everything that I'd set out to. Like I had, I had, you know, transformed my life, transformed my body. I had accolades from so many people, like to the point where it almost became embarrassing, uh, just the, 
you know, how, how excited people were for me. And to me, it was like, at, I was very grateful for all of that. But at the same time, it was almost overwhelming. It was like, Hey, you know, I, I just I just got fit. It's not like I cured cancer or anything. Um, I think but- I first came across you on social media when, um, and it was even right before the networking events that we started connecting. Um, I saw you on social media, and you were doing—is it bar or bar A classes? Bar. And yeah. I'm like, oh my god, I take my hat off to him. Yeah. So I had gone from never, like, literally never having exercised in my life. I didn't. I never done any sport as a child. I hated it. And look, I, I could actually go off on a long rant there as well about I think I think things are a little bit better now. But certainly when I was growing up, the I mean, basically um, physical activity and and movement as it was taught in schools or present, pr- provided and presented at schools was all about competitive team sport, which still does not interest or more. <laughs> I've got zero interest in that, either watching it or participating in it. And so there really weren't very many options. And I thought that was, so I thought that I hated movement and hated exercise. And what it was, is I hated competitive team sport. So to put it into perspective, yeah, I became, I, I started running multiple half marathons a year. Start, start, I ran three, three full marathons in 2017, went from never having ridden a bicycle, even as a child to, you know, getting a sports bike and teaching myself to ride on a Brisbane City Council city cycle (laughs) and then going from that to to riding in 100 to 160 kilometer events went from being too too embarrassed and ashamed of my body to even dance at my own wedding to taking up first zumba and then bar and then and then ballet and then becoming a bar teacher so complete complete transformation and absolutely so I'd, I'd done everything that I'd set out to do. And yet what I saw in the mirror was really confronting to me and made me really unhappy and uncomfortable. It was puzzling. I had no idea. I had no idea why. One thing that, it, and then one one experience for me, probably the, the most fundamental egg cracking moment was uh, I was trying to solve a practical problem, which was I was doing so much, so much sport on the weekends that often, you know, I'd be going from one thing to another and often having to transition between um, you know, doing stuff on the bike to doing stuff running, and just looking for looking for for sportswear for for activewear that would would help me, you know, do that and not having to spend time and looking for places to change between events and stuff. So, kind of one size fits all. When you look at activewear that's that's marketed to men, it's boring. <laughs> it's it's black or it's black. If you want a bit of or if you want a bit of color, maybe charcoal or, or navy. Oh, okay. um, you know, so <laughs> black and off black. <laughs> black and very, very, very dark gray. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so, and I, I guess I've always had a more colorful personality than that, you know. And it just so happens so I'd had my eyes open trying to find something that would, you know, be a, a better look, something that was more me but still functional. And one one evening, I was walking past a Lorna Jane store, and I saw this pair of tights in the window that I just fell in love with because I loved the pattern on them. I've always been a bit of a, an astronomy uh, geek, and these had these beautiful patterns of stars and constellations. And I thought, oh, wow, that's, I love those. I want, I, I would love them. And then of course, you know, because I'd grown up for 45 years with this ingrained taught belief that no, that's not for you. That's, 
that's for women. And, and there's even, there's even, I think, there's even a kind of a sense of that it's somehow shameful, I think, for men to present in feminine ways. There's, it's a strong taboo in our society. I think it's eroding, but certainly it's alive and well. Mm, that um, was one of my questions is, you know, over time, I think um, society is getting educated more and more. And, you know, are you definitely seeing that? Absolutely, 100%. I think the very fact that we're even having this com- this conversation right now is important. And, you know, I'm also aware of that, you know, that young people these days, so the, you know, teens are, are even, who are questioning or exploring their own gender identity, you know, th- this is a conversation that's happening. Um, and it's happening sometimes quite open, but not always. Um, and certainly there is, there's a level, I think, of acceptance that is growing, that at least these questions are worth asking and they're not they're not necessarily you know weird or wrong to even to be questioning these these things yeah i think i think there is definitely a an erosion i don't think we're we're, we're there yet we're, we're a long way from through a through a series of you know a long series of events uh you know i I very recently appeared in a in a Lorna Jane um, in some Lorna Jane marketing. And as you've met Lorna Jane herself, haven't you? Um, many many times. Photos, now, yeah. yeah, she has always been beautifully supportive and and wonderful towards me, and I'm very very grateful for for her openness and her support. Even appearing in a campaign just a few weeks ago, people left nasty comments on the posts. And do you think that that's a lack of understanding or just? I basically believe in the goodness of people. You have to work very, very hard to convince me that somebody is a bad or malevolent person. I think there's a few things working here. So number one, people are, there's there's definitely a lack of understanding or lack of empathy, right? So people see something that they're not used to seeing and there is a reaction of that that's not part of the world that I exist in or part of my experience. It's wrong and, and maybe threatening. I think that's unfortunate, but I also think that, you know, I, I really believe that with better understanding and better exposure and better, you know, being able to actually listen to people's stories or or involve themselves in people's stories, that education makes a, a big difference. And that, uh, and I guess that's one of the reasons I, I was so excited to, to talk to you today, because it's likely that if somebody listening, you know, if a parent listening has a child who is either starting to question their gender identity or is actually in the process of has already made up their mind, is already changing their gender identity. Um, and maybe it's not even your child, maybe it's a friend's child or a nephew or mm. niece or whatever. So what would you say to them as like tips and tricks or helpful information? Well, the very, like I've written down questions and <laughs> the very fundament of it all is a position that I call uh, compassionate curiosity, right? And to and here's the thing: like I believe that every single person who is who is who is alarmed by conversations around gender or has left uh, nasty remarks on on somebody's social media or whatever, um, it it really it it really comes from a place of protectiveness. They are trying to protect something, and and in in general, you know, the vast majority of, of parents are very protective of their children and want the best for their children. And so if a child is starting to to venture into waters that are unfamiliar even to the parent, that has to be alarming at some level. It has to be discon- at least disconcerting or uncomfortable. Or, you know, what does this really mean? And so I think 
starting from a position position of compassionate curiosity is a good thing. There's a tale that my my dad used to tell. My dad grew up in Europe in a rural area. We would endorse this kind of thing these days. But for the point of the story, uh, one of the things that those rural kids sometimes did as a as a prank was that they would put duck eggs underneath a chicken to to hatch. And well, and so yeah, the, the mother hen would would hatch these ducklings. But then, what do ducklings do as soon as soon after they hatch? These ducklings would excitedly make their way down to the the pond and start and start paddling as ducklings do. And of course, this is completely outside mother hen's experience. She panics. She thinks her babies are about to drown. She's running up and down the the shores of that that lake in terrible distress because these chickens have taken yeah. to water, which is not a thing that chickens do. It is a cruel prank. But I tell the story because I think it's a similar thing. We, If our children venture into waters that we don't know ourselves, it's it's alarming. At that point, though, we do get a choice of how we respond to an unfamiliar scenario. And one, one way is to react with panic and dismissal. And, you know, in worst case scenarios, we know that there are a lot of trans and gender diverse kids who who do get disowned, even completely cut off and disowned from their families. Uh, this is yeah. a common experience. And so even a child, you know, making their questioning known to a parent is sometimes a re- feels a, like a really risky move for that child. Because they a, don't know what, how their how their information is going to be viewed. Absolutely. And, you know, it could also be that the child has internalised a transphobia even from their surroundings. So if they've grown up in a household where a, a parent or caregiver has, you know, has consistently expressed anti-trans or transphobic views and then the child themselves is starting to question their gender identity that probably doesn't feel like a really safe environment to to bring that up in you mentioned earlier that um about the lorna jane campaign and how you had quite a few uh negative and nasty comments from that do you think that's a a case of the classic keyboard warriors that they they're they're all big and bold and brave behind the keyboard but not so much to your face or do you get those nasty jibes and comments like behind your back i suppose well, so there's 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 a beautiful effect at work that you know if people are saying things behind my back, I don't get to <laughs> I don't get to hear them anyway. So and it doesn't it really doesn't bother me. But I think you're right. I think you know people are more inclined to to make nasty remarks. You know when behind that keyboard and with that layer of separation. And you know it was interesting that a lot of I mean I'm very public about my about my journey and about my presentation and like all my social media accounts are all set the most public uh, settings. I can set them to. And a lot of, you know, a lot of, and conversely, you know, a lot of nasty remarks were coming from people with, you know, anonymous and locked down accounts and private accounts and uh, things like that. And I mean, Lorna Jane's team was, was very quick to remove a lot of the worst stuff. There's some kind of borderline snark that's, that's remaining, but all the really worst abusive stuff, they just deleted it. And sometimes they just don't get it because, like, it's great for the Facebook algorithm. Like, Lorna sure. Jane's posts would have gone haywire, like, sometimes negative and it's good and it's bringing, I suppose, bringing your message and Lorna Jane's message that, you know, she is inclusive of all, bringing that to the forefront. I'm very grateful for the opportunity and the the platform that they extended to me and you know, there's this part of me that actually that actually wishes that they'd left the nasty remarks up 
Yeah. And I, I know that obviously, you know, for their brand, it's not great to have <laughs> have that stuff, that abusive yeah. stuff sitting out there. And and also because I'm aware that I'm exceptionally lucky that for me, my egg cracked in adulthood, that I am surrounded by a beautiful and loving family and a beautiful and loving community of friends and a supportive workplace, because that's another thing as well. Yeah. So I've really had a very, very easy time of that. I've been very, very lucky. So I'm quite okay with reading people's nastiness because I think it just, if anything, it makes me feel sad that for somebody that's actually a source of, I don't know, validation or or fulfillment for them to leave anonymous nasty comments on the internet. That that's actually something you would invest your time in doing. But, you know, I, I also acknowledge that for somebody who was less secure in or who's just starting to question themselves or maybe questioning themselves and has a decent sense of internalized transphobia or something that reading some of that stuff could be really damaging and triggering. So I, I, it did have to, it did have to come down really, but part of it, part of me wishes that it had stayed there for two reasons. One of them more charitable than the other, the, the more, the less charitable one is that I, I believe that, well, you know, the people who are doing that, I mean, they have families and friends as well, and it's probably good for their families and friends to see that, that they are the kind of person who would leave nasty remarks about someone they've never even met, uh, you know, on, in a public forum. Um, so I think that, that's the less charitable view. <laughs> the more charitable one is that I think that even good intentioned people, it's very easy sometimes for us to think that a lot of the battles are fought and won and that, you know, I see this a lot, especially not really in the, the trans or gender diverse space, but just in, in terms of gender in general and the fact that, you know, you do see a lot of comments, particularly I think from some male leaders uh, that, well, you know, surely the whole gender thing is decided now, yeah, women can work and, and you know, women get paid, um, you know, so aren't we equal yet and aren't we, aren't we done with gender equality now? And, yeah, it's, you have to have a pretty blinkered and insulated worldview to reach that point of view. And it's, it's, it's often a generational thing. I'm not cutting those guys any slack. But, but even, even ones who would think of themselves as well-intentioned, it seems like the battles are already fought and won about women's equality in, in workplaces, which we know it's not. And at the same time, you know, when thinking about, when thinking about, for, for example, sexuality, thinking about, well, you know, um, gay people can get married now and gay people have a, have a, have a pride festival. What more do they want? You know, and it's, uh, yeah, are, are we done with this yet? And yeah, no, we're not. And, and trans people as well and trans and other gender diverse people. So there's the, the battles are not won. And I think it's sometimes, it's sometimes actually good to let some of the ugliness stand to remind us all that we actually do have a long way to go. And again, coming back to, to parents, this is something that if that their own children, if if they if they are questioning their their gender, um, this is something that their kids are going to encounter from peers, they're going to encounter it from schools, they might be encountering it from workplaces, from sports clubs, from from wherever. And even if they're not encountering it, they're probably afraid of it, um, whether it that it could happen. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely, it can happen because you know you asked me whether whether I've encountered anything in real life, and and yes, I have. It can was, I it's ask never... how your your wife and your family and your two kids how they've handled it? Yeah, look, I think there's definitely it's definitely been it's been a journey for for my wife, um, and I don't want to tell too much of her story here because. It's her story. For the kids, the kids are easy because they've just, they are nine and ten years old now, and my journey has happened over the last seven or so years. So they, 
I mean, they are obviously at an age now where they do realize that that I dress differently and I do different things, I guess, from from the dads of of their peers. Yeah. But really they relate to me as me, like as as that person. I if they're I, I am not aware of I'm not aware of any of them having had to to make any adjustments. Are you worried about when they go to high school if that will change? Yeah, because kids in primary school they're kind of a little they're a little bit more gentle, but once once they hit high school, it feels like they're ruthless. Well, I'm really I'm really worried about it, and you know. My kids have also been have also been lucky to and privileged to to go to a you know to a small a small school which is the most beautifully supportive community I think I've ever encountered. Like it's 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 like I was a small digression, but I, you know I was really worried about my kids getting ready for school because my whole twelve years of schooling were basically a nightmare from start to finish. Yeah. I've got no happy memories of school; they yeah. were just awful. Not because of gender stuff, but just other stuff. So even when my kids were getting ready to go to school, I was so anxious and and unhappy and frightened for them. And then the actual experience could not have been more different. Like their school is beautiful and they they are just flourishing in it. But you know, the elder the elder boys about to, you know, will start high school in, in a couple of years now. And like I said, all of my all of my social media profiles have been all wide open. Like yeah. I, I literally have nothing private at all. I don't post. There's anything. no stalking required. It's all there. No stalking required. Yeah. You know, you can, you can look <laughs> me up and you'll find everything. It, it is if if you just kind of do the do the maths, the just on the balance of probabilities, it is likely that at some point in their high school years as teens, someone will find their connection to me and and use it as a and likely there'll be someone who uses it as a platform for for teasing or bullying or yeah or something like that's just i, and I mean you i feel like I hope against prepared. hope that that won't happen. and you feel well, like you've prepared them enough no i don't yet um right. and i also this is a journey for me too to figure out like how how to prepare them and i think i mean i think part of the part of the issue is that if if somebody if somebody is inclined to be a nasty human being, they will find a way to be a nasty human being. So if it yeah. wasn't about your dad, your dad wears dresses and and you know and quote unquote women's tights and um, and and gets gets their lashes and nails done, you know if it, if it's if they're not gonna if they're not gonna if the if a nasty person isn't isn't going to weaponize that they'll weaponize something else they'll weaponize some other aspect of their their looks or their life or whatever so yeah. so part of it I think is acknowledging that it's it's a it's not actually about it's not really about the thing that they're targeting it's just that nasty people will find a way to be nasty and again it's sad because again what kind of person does that it's 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 because they themselves are that that old saying hurt people hurt people um there's something lacking for them and it would be great if we could actually address that rather than have them lash out at others but yes i'm i'm definitely concerned about about that and i don't have the answers yet i think it's some i think it's a journey that we will we're all going to have to work it out together as we journey towards it you rudy you go to a lot of networking events. Like you are literally the networking queen. I I don't know. I don't know anybody who can keep up with you. 
And I remember one of the very first, I think it was one of the Bell events that um, I saw you, I saw you at. And I'm going to be honest, I I didn't know what to say. And we met, we spoke earlier on our initial conversation and you mentioned that there's quite a few people that you know, when they see you at events, that could be what they're thinking as well. Like, I, you know, I don't know what to say. And yeah. un- until, um, who's the bell? Who's the bell lady? Oh, Jess. So until Jess literally shoved me in front of you, it was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I don't know what to say. But then once I started talking to you, it was like, Oh my god, like why have I avoided this for so long? And it's and it's very similar to like the podcasting thing because when I put my request for podcast guests out and you message me, I'm like there was this wave of, oh my God, thank you. Yes. And it was but you know, I'm sitting here going, No, no, I can't message him, I can't message him because I don't know what to say. Whereas you just, yeah, is it just me? I'm just going around. No, no, it's it's, it's not it's not just you, Sasha, and because I've had this feedback from a few a few places, right? And so, and even people who I've known for years sometimes, and then because I do I do a few podcasts here and there, and a few interviews, and and a lot of times people have said to me afterwards, "Oh wow, look, I'm really glad that I listened to that because uh, I've I've wondered and I've I've just not known how to ask and." Um, what I want to really uh, say about that is that I think there, I used that term before, compassionate curiosity. And I will say that there is a, a real difference. Like most people, most of the time can tell the difference between uh, an innocent and genuine question that's, that comes from, a, comes from an attempt to understand versus somebody who's trying to be nasty like we can we can tell intent most of the time like uh, and yes it's occasionally someone will you know we we're all human we make mistakes and someone can potentially take offense at something that was quite innocent um or alternatively <laughs> um someone might someone might try to be nasty and we and another person just doesn't even see it so um but like to encourage people that in general whether it's about gender or whether it's about whether it's about ethnicity or whether it's about a, a customer a practice or something that people see someone else doing in their world um i, I would like to encourage i would like to encourage in general you know a, a practice of compassionate curiosity and asking asking questions and attempting to understand some scandinavian countries have a, a beautiful tradition of they call them living library books and the idea that that People can offer themselves in in public libraries as a living library book that somebody can can take out. Well, and in the context of this, so you can you can uh, you can schedule a conversation with somebody different from yourself and get to ask questions. In, I've seen in that on social media, and yeah. it's great. Like, totally needs to be picked up by other countries. Um, and so I think that that yeah, I think it's a beautiful custom. But but underlying it is this idea that. That you know, if we are good, if we are well intentioned, ask and yeah. and maybe even err on the side of being a little bit because if you're asking me about the way that I'm showing up in the world or the way that I'm presenting in the world, I mean, you're asking for vulnerability from me to answer that question. But I would say that on the on the on the side of the asker, well, if you're asking somebody to be vulnerable for you, you can start by being vulnerable yourself by asking a question that you're not 
secure about asking mm. um, and that you're risking something, you're risking offending somebody. Mm. Um, the, the other thing that touches on is that I, I really hope that that our attempts to be kind and inclusive can kind of get away from that that culture of fearing offence um, because often it's often it's framed in that it's not oh well you know I, I don't want to offend anybody or or you know I, um, I I wanted to know this but I didn't want to offend you I mean people get offended by all kinds of stuff all of the time <laughs> um, yeah and you're and- probably actually being offended by not even being asked like you would. I know I'm so black and white and straight to the point and um, I suppose the question unasked is, you know, you'd, you'd much rather just ask it really. Absolutely. And I think, yeah. and I think because that, that increases understanding and, and understanding is really key because empathy gets you to a point. Like empathy mm. is and the, the genuine desire to, you know, and, and to be goodwilled towards another person. Um, is essential really to to healthy relationships with you know, anybody in our world, but but then going that extra mile towards understanding as well, because once if you're empathetic and you're well-meaning, and you also understand at least some of somebody's journey, uh, I th- there's very 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 few people I think who are still going to be nasty or or. Or fearful, or or having, or having, you know, a negative reaction that comes out of that fear, um, because we we realise that everyone is is human like ourselves. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, instead of instead of worrying about causing offence, I, I really like to see the whole conversation around inclusion and diversity shift towards well, how do we welcome people? Rather than how do we avoid offending them? How do we welcome people? How do we make people feel safe and secure that yes, this this event or this space or this job or whatever it is is that yes, you belong here. You are safe here. You are wanted here. Yeah. Um, which is very different from oh well, I don't want to offend you. <laughs> um. A few final questions before we wrap up because I don't want to take too much of your time and go over the hour. In our first conversation, you mentioned the framework and the three boxes. Can yeah. you go through those, please? Because I think that'll be really helpful to the listeners. Yeah. So this this is really if there's if there's one tool I can offer straight away, and it, it's this, it's that. And again, it's it's something that is maybe not intuitive to people who've never wrestled with these issues in their own lives, right? So um we are all familiar with the concept of biological sex and the idea that that our species to reproduce <laughs> needs males and females uh, what is and so we have this we have that concept so let's call that concept biological sex or just sex another concept is how we organize our society and how we make presumptions about categories that gendered categories that we put people into so basically we our society has a system of two genders other societies have it set up differently but we have a system of two genders where we say well this is this gender call this gender is how is male and this is the things that we expect males to do and and behave and appear 
And these are the things that we expect from, from females, from, from women. And we have this, so, but these are socially constructed, right? So in those, in those boxes, we might put things like um, preferred color as an obvious one, right? So um, the blue is for boys, pink is for girls. That's, that is a gendered construction. It's got nothing to do with biology. Um, we would put other things into those boxes about personality traits, um, we would put things into those boxes about, for children, preferred toys. Um, for for older, older children, well, preferred school subjects, preferred professions, preferred careers they might be thinking about going into. And preferred sports as well is, preferred, it, is another big sports. one. Yeah, all, all interests, hobbies, everything. Um, clothing, <laughs> like all of these things are, are gendered constructions. Um how do we know that they are gendered? Well, and that they're just social constructions? Well, because the things that appear in those two boxes, in those two categories, um, they, they do vary across historical time and they vary across culture. So, um, so even something that we take for radio, you know, and a trivial one, the blue is for boys, pink is for girls, we know that historically that was, was reversed at different previous points in even Western culture, and and the idea of colours themselves even being particularly gendered one way or the other is is in the in the whole scope of of Western you know, European history, this is a very new idea anyway. Um, so that's so we've got sex, which is a biological phenomenon. We have gender, which is a social phenomenon, and then we also have sexuality, which is who are you attracted to, if if anybody. Um, and again, we have traditionally, our society has traditionally constructed this around either straight or gay. So attracted to people of the same sex or of the opposite sex. And the way that the, these three, these three things are actually completely separate categories. Um, and they can be combined in, in, in a wide variety of combinations. Um, what we've grown up with in in your generation, in, in our generation, and in and probably most of the people listening is that is the idea that well the 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 anatomical and physiological biology that you have maps directly onto your gender, so that there's a strong link between um, you are a you are a man or you are a woman. And so these are the things that you are going to like and want <laughs> and the way you're going to show up in the world and you're, and you're going to be attracted to um, the opposite sex. And, and so sex, gender, sexuality are presumed to line up and, and they just don't because it's, for a start, neither of those things is a binary um, that, yeah. that yes, there are two biological sexes, but actually we can find individuals who fit along a whole spectrum between one and the other. Absolutely. Um, all kind of, which we say are intersex people. Um, we find that on the gender spectrum, there are people who, are, who identify as, as masculine or feminine or people like myself who, who don't identify as, as either of those things, as being outside of that space. There are people who experience gender fluidity that that they might feel masculine or feminine from day to day or or hour to hour, and sexuality. We know that 
and, and this is you know one that I think we're all familiar with. I think generationally, I think this this one has broken down a lot. But the, the expectation that uh, any particular individual is going to be necessarily attracted to the opposite sex, I think we now are all pretty familiar with the idea that that that's not always the case. Um, that people can be attracted to the same sex. People could be attracted to both sexes equally. People yeah. might be asexual and have no sexual attraction to, to anybody. <laughs> so um, sex, gender, sexuality, these three things are different. They can be, none of them is a binary, and all three boxes, all three categories can be combined in in a vast number of different ways. And, yeah. again, bringing it back to the you know, parents of teens, you're listening here that yeah it it could knowing knowing what your child's biological sex is doesn't necessarily predict what gender they will identify with or or who they're going to be attracted to if if anybody mm, exactly i love it thank you thank you so much um i have one final question and it's a big curly one you're going to okay. laugh at me. Yeah. Um, I want to hear all about the Camilla experience, please. <laughs> okay. So um, I had a beautiful experience a few weeks ago. Um, I've loved Camilla, the the label, for for a few years now. So ever since I – it was it was one of the first things I uh, – first labels I really uh, loved. Um, and – I had this amazing experience where Camilla recently launched a their spring summer 2022 collection. They launched it here in Brisbane. Camilla Franks herself was in Brisbane to launch it. And the I, I very excitedly booked to go along to this show because I was very excited to see the new collection. And the day before the the day before the show, somebody from Camilla's team uh contacted me to ask whether I would be willing to model in the show. And was it an immediate uh, yes? Of course it's an immediate yes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I mean I've done I've done run I've done runway training. Um but never act this was actually <laughs> the first time I actually got to use it was in this uh com- this completely out of the blue gig. And what was beautiful about it, what really moved me was that um by the more the version of this that I've heard that came out from behind closed doors um, was that the morning of the show, the team had the show together and had shown Camilla what they had planned, and and her reaction was that yep good but there's not enough diversity on this runway, and and that's when a few people on the team who who knew me or knew of me um, decided to reach out at that <laughs> at that last minute. Um, and and ask me if I'd be willing to to participate and yep. and actually walk as a as a model uh, for the launch of their collection, which which is just so amazingly moving and beautiful to me because of that that recognition that actually more diversity on the runway is a is a is a good thing. It it helps it helps. Uh, to affirm people who don't fit into yeah. society's yeah. expectations. So I'm eternally grateful to Camilla and her team for having having had that experience and 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 by why 
why it happened, not that it was uh, yeah. a deliberate attempt to to celebrate diversity, somebody's authentic authentic self and authentic love of their, their label. Um, I guess, yeah. The I think the the takeaway there is perhaps that that in fact we can we can celebrate what brings joy to other people, even if it's not something we do ourselves or something that that we connect with. And and there's a tremendous power and and beauty in being able to say to someone, for example, one of our own children who you know who makes a makes a choice or, or has a series of life experiences that that are not ours, and instead of reacting with with panic or fear or rejection or judgment, we respond first with that compassionate curiosity, which serves as a foundation where we can build understanding. And beyond that understanding comes celebration. It's actually, we actually celebrate that difference. It's like, wow, you really love this thing. I would not, (laughs) if that is not my experience at all, I, I don't even know what that is, but I love it. And I love you. And I love that you are authentically being you, that you are celebrating yourself. And, and wouldn't it be a beautiful world if we could just all get away from telling other people, hey, stop liking stuff that I don't like, or mm-hmm. stop living in stop living in a way that I wouldn't want to live. No, yeah. let's let's celebrate not just our own authenticity, but but other people's authenticity and give them that space to to shine. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've you've totally had the had the floor and I love it. You just you've absorbed it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Sasha. And and look, if if anybody has questions or wants to reach out, I'm very happy to. I'm very happy to take questions or or um, even sit down with somebody and talk if if that would be be helpful. Yeah. So I'll put all the links in the um in the information in the in the podcast. So yeah. Thank you oh, again. Thank you. Thank you. And just like that, it's a wrap. I hope you've enjoyed the last 20 or so minutes and have walked away with some golden nuggets of information. If you'd like to join our Raising Resilient Teens Facebook group, the link will be in the comments. And until next time, ciao.